Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kaiju Kingdom podcast, the one, the podcast about all things giant monsters and their ilk. We are your host, Jessica. Hi, everybody. And I am Chris Eaton. Uh, if you listened to our last podcast, we went knee deep, 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 like deep south deep into the Pacific Rim uh, <laughs> DVD, uh, more aptly the Blu-ray. And uh, we, it was so much that we had to divide into two episodes. It was like that, that cliffhanger episode where, you know, uh, like on uh, Mr. Belvedere, if you didn't know that Wesley got into that accident, you didn't know what was going to happen. So this episode, we are going to actually talk about the main disc, you know, uh, the one with the movie, the commentary, and the actual uh, specials, uh, extras they had put on that. That's how jam-packed this DVD is. Jessica has about a phone book's worth of notes that she wants to go through. And uh, once again, I will be commenting on the side because I'm just kind of lazy like that. And Jessica is a far more hardworking person than I am. So with that, let's get into it. Jessica. Okay. So I figured this is the Mm Blu-ray, right? The Blu-ray DVD for those who are confused. I mean, I haven't seen the regular DVD, so I don't know what's on there. I would like to think that they have almost all the same things. (laughs) But we will see. So at the time, uh, they had two parts. They had, they didn't really have much on the, on the, um, I would say special feature section of the Blu-ray, the actual movie DVD. Mm -hmm. They had focus points, audio, commentary, and like something else. I, I don't think it was even that important. But I know you, Chris, mm-hmm. you did the commentary. Yes. So you sat through all two hours of the commentary. Yes, like I do with any Guillermo del Toro DVD. Is uh, it just del Toro this time? It is just del Toro, which, uh, okay. Um, as I, I told you, I think, last time, like, off-air, um, before we sat down, because you didn't even realize, because you had spent hours with, Okay, hold on, let's backtrack for a second so we can give the people a little insight to this story. Uh, when we were going to sit down and record the last podcast, I had gone through the DVD and, you know, watched the commentary and watched the extras, and I was like, where the hell are the, the bloopers and all this? And then you're telling me all the stuff you're seeing, I'm just like, oh, did I buy the wrong disc? Because I know there's like 500 versions of this disc out, and I bought mine at Costco. So I thought I had gotten like the nice two-disc edition, I'm just like, I'm looking, I'm like, no, there's the standard DVD, what, what am I missing? And uh, we're, like, an hour away from recording, and then Jessica comes online. She's like, you do know there are, like, two Blu-rays, right? I'm like, no, I only got the one. She's like, really? I'm like, she's like, look <laughs> again. And lo and behold, I open up the disc, and staring right at me is the second Blu-ray, which they put underneath the main disc. So, uh, yes, to my uh, dismay, I saw that uh, I had been had by my own, uh, by, by my own idiocy. You know what? It's okay, because I put two DVDs into the <laughs> PS3, and it wasn't playing, and my frustration, and then I hit eject, and two discs came out, and I was like, oh no! Yes. Like, yeah, it was like the DVD on top, and like the special features on the bottom, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, oh, crud. <laughs> no, by the by, the time you and I had spoken, I think mm-hmm. I spent six to seven hours going through everything. Yeah, you went deep. You went very deep. Like I had to start doing like the Cliff Notes <laughs> version for for the last podcast. I'm just like, okay, okay, we got this, this, okay, okay, good, okay. Jessica will cover the rest of this. 
Yeah, and so when you were just like, "Oh no, I went through the commentary,"、mm-hmm. I was like, "I love you, Pakrim, <laughs> but I can't go through another two hours because I'm gonna fall asleep on the couch." But also, I don't write as quickly as he speaks.、Mm-hmm. Even so, I what I do is I pause and write notes,、mm-hmm. pause and write notes. Which makes so if you think about it, a two-hour commentary is gonna take me about eleven hours. Yeah. So and me, I just I make、uh, I just make mental notes of like bigger por- portions because a lot of it is stuff he's already touched upon in like、uh, interviews promoting the film and stuff. So I mean there was there was insight to a lot more to a lot of other things that ironically were also covered in the special features of the DVD as well. But, right, right. But the, you know the one of the main perks of having Guillermo del Toro DVD is listening to Guillermo del Toro talk. I still hold、uh, the Blade Two Special Edition as one of the best commentary tracks. A, kind of put down on film, and B, his the best one he's done yet because、uh, he's just so lively in it. He talks about how the、uh, he compares the、uh, the the Reapers to Lemmings because they just keep coming at at Blade and stuff like that, and just you know with his accent, it just kind of sounds adorable. He's very funny. He's he really smart and he's funny. He's not like some commentaries are like super boring,、mm. really straightforward. I went to a Doctor Who commentary for like one of the first episodes at Gallifrey One, and I didn't really expect much out of it.、Mm. But the director sat on the floor, but he was like pointing up with like a laser pointer、mm. up to the projector. He he himself. Is the reason why it was entertaining. He goes, "Oh, you see this part right here?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fell right, <laughs> right there. You see my hand? That's the shadow of my hand." Yeah. And he was giving like really small notes, and they were like really subtle. It was the first episode of Let's Kill Hitler,、mm-hmm. and there's a part where like you see where River Song rubs up against Matt Smith. The reason why he's covering. It's real subtle. It's not for you kids. Now kids clothe like kids were like covering their ears.、Mm. Goes, This is where the doctor has a boner right there. <laughs> and then so and it was things that I would have never have thought、mm-hmm. of or did it. But he made the episode more entertaining. Oh yeah. But but some commentaries are just like no, I can't I can't do two hours of、it's, you talking over my movie. Oh, it's like、uh, I the the. The most ironic thing about、uh, the Avengers commentary was Whedon's.、Uh, he, I mean, and normally he's a、like, kind of a lively guy, but if you really ever listen to him talk, he's a low talker. Like he's very,、uh, well, you know, he, we're talking about this part right here, and you know,、uh, there's a shot of Scarlet doing this. Like he talks that way the whole time, and he's trying to keep it lively. But the thing is, though, he's just talking to himself.、Uh, Robert Rodriguez does a lot of the same thing too. I mean, I love listening to his commentaries because he's. Super detailed with how he shot things. Like he's like, oh, you know, see here, like you can do this at home. All you just need is like this software that's like、uh, you know eight hundred bucks, and you can do this. But when you don't have someone to work off of, it it midway through, you know, people start losing their focus, and that、yes. that's part of the problem because you got to realize they're. You know, even though these people have made these films, and you know they spent hours and hours on them, they're still watching this stuff as they're commentating on it, and they're usually they're watching it without sound too. So you're right. Not, so they're like they're kind of like okay, I think this part's coming. Hold on a second. Yeah, they get caught up watching it,、um, and that, that's why I, I always like Kevin Smith's commentaries because it's he usually brings half the cast in and he sits down and they. Bullshit about you know the 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 movie and now they'll they'll give out stories and they'll give out、uh, other little things and, and they keep it lively and keep it interesting.、Uh, the right, thing, the, right. The, with Del Toro this time, it was very、um, he was very、uh, um, matter of fact about it. 
Like okay. He, he wasn't, you know, it wasn't as much of, you know, as lively as he normally is. And I think part of it was just, I, it, usually these, these are, these tracks are recorded like right after the movie's open. And when you have that, when a movie doesn't kind of meet the expectations that you're hoping it would, it kind of is a, you know, kind of brings the, the soul down a little bit. So he sounded a little disheartened by certain, you know, maybe certain aspects of the film, but he just, he kept, he kept it professional. And, you know, it was, it was very much, you know, like, okay, this scene, uh, you know, uh, uh, we have uh, uh, the girl that, the, in, it was the, the, the drift sequence, and, uh, you know, we have young Mako here, and she's holding the shoe, you know, the shoe, she represents her heart, and, you know, they got running, then here comes the big crab monster, blah, 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 you know, and then that stuff, and he's pointing out, it's like, oh, yeah, all these set was, uh, was practical, because I love doing practical as much as possible, you know, it was, it was a lot of that. Was there anything that stood out to you, or was particularly funny? Uh, not not so much because it, a lot of it is just it's it's more on the kin like his Blade Two commentary where he gets very he actually starts kind of waxing poetic about a lot of aspects about you know the deeper meanings to like a lot of the stuff you know again like the shoe re- represents the heart you know when you know he's like that's part of the reason when they're uh, when uh, Raleigh and Mako are sitting watching gypsies you know chest being opened up and they're working on the core it's like that's the point that you know all three of their hearts are open to each other and they all become one you know it, it, a lot of the deeper meaning stuff like that where you wouldn't have if you're not really super paying attention to the movie, you wouldn't have picked up on the the subtlety of such things, right? But then again, right. they then they go back and talk about it in a lot of, a lot of the extra features too. So, I mean, a lot of it was you know because I watched I read I, I listened to that first before I went back and watched the special features that you know it, it there was a bit of a retread at, at at a lot of points. Right. No, I understand what you mean. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think a lot, because there's only so much they can talk about, but exactly. they're just like, no, I need you to fill up a whole disc worth of yeah. stuff. Like, I honestly thought it would have been fine if they had, like, Travis sit in with him, and then they could talk about, you know, the two of them putting the movie together. Like, you know, okay, this was my original concept, here's where Guillermo came in, and Guillermo could talk about, okay, this was my contribution, and, you know, I, you know, I thought we should do this instead of this, that kind of thing. Yes, I like your Del Toro expression. Look, he was he was the second director I ever <laughs> met, and he won me over because I I met him at the LA at the LA Comic Convention when he was promoting Blade. He was he just he floored the shit out of me, which is how funny and how kind of like open he was. And his accent is what part of the thing that reels you in with him because it's not it's not like a true like like uh, Spanish accent. It's got like a weird tinge to it. It's almost like. I like I call it Mexican Cockney, if you will, <laughs> because I live in we live in California, so we live in a largely Hispanic population. So you hear yes. like a lot of, you know, Hispanic accents, and they don't sound anything like his. Like his is like, it like there's a ton of proper English in it, but you know he still has the the Mexican uh, tinge to it. But it's like when you listen, to, it's. Because uh, I, I put it as uh, it's uh, how um, Edgar Wright talks, because Edgar Wright has almost like a Cockney accent to him a bit too. Like he he doesn't sound like you know when you're listening to like Jason Statham or someone else British talk. You know they got that very proper like Edgar Wright has like a weird kind of like almost um, uh, again it's Cockney. It's if you listen to if think uh, oh god what's the movie. Uh, uh, blanking right now because I'm putting on the spot you know the orphan kid hangs uh, hooks up with the uh, with the tramps they start stealing stuff 
don't know. It, you can look it up later. I, it, it'll hit me like midway through this podcast, and I'll scream it out. And you, you know, should, you should, yeah. you should do that. But anyway, yes, back to Del Toro. Yeah, so he has like this love. He has an accent that is just. I, every time I talk about him or say his name, I have to say it the way he pronounces it because the, <clears throat> when he comes up, I say, hello, my name is Guillermo del Toro. That's the way he pronounces it, and that's how it's in my head, so I have to say it every time like that. So, Yes, it's like me and certain Asian foods. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can't say it the Americanized way. I have to say it the way I was raised to say. Such as? Like, huntun mm-hmm. is Cantonese for it's wonton. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, and then I know in uh, in American they call it mandu or something, but it's manto, mm-hmm. which is like like a kind of a soft bread type of little. It's like a little bread roll that yeah. you can eat with. And certain words like that, I just I can't do. And then you slip into this weird accent because mm-hmm. then you say it the way that you would say it. Exactly. So yeah, no, but I cannot do accents. So I'm gonna leave that up to you. I can't do. <laughs> I will just make him suddenly Japanese for yeah. some reason, and and be confused why. And I'm not even Japanese, mm. so so there might there might be a Japanese Del Toro it, it, in the future. It's sadly a, a horrible trait I get from my grandfather, who I don't think he realizes he he does it when he's talking to people. But um, you know, he's 86 years old. But every t- when I growing up with him, every time he talked to anybody with like a, a an accent, he inadvertently did like the most racist uh, imitation <laughs> of them back. But the problem, the thing was, the people never picked up on it. Like it was especially funny when he <laughs> talks to like you know Vietnamese uh, folks. Like when we would get to like electronic stores around here, and they're run by Vietnamese, and they would speak with like a very a very thick accent because they, you know, English is clearly their second language. They'd be like, "Oh, uh, how can how can I help you?" My grandfather would be like, "Oh, you can uh, you can help me with uh, with 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 remote. You help me with a remote." I'm like, "This is that this is hilarious <laughs> and terrible on so many levels." But I'm just gonna watch and see where this goes. You should do a, a little web series like unintentional racist grandpa. Oh. It's like write, you are key. I'm going to write a book one day about my grandparents. It's just it's it's a whole experience up to, onto itself. They are truly the last of a generation. <laughs> but um, so how was it listening to uh, two hours of Del Toro's commentary it, and accent? Was it lulling? It, no, it wasn't lulling. Uh, it was it, it was what it was. It was uh, it, and again, it's worth a listen. Um, a repeated listen, I don't know. Uh, maybe one day if I'm bored and I go back, uh, I do listen to um, his Hellboy uh, commentary a bit, uh, just because it's it's he's very kind of enthusiastic about that one. Uh, Hellboy two, not so much. Um, and I haven't listened to the commentary, like, there's, um, the Crichton, uh, Criterion versions of Kronos and, uh, um, Devil's Backbone. I haven't listened to those yet, so I'm very curious to listen to those and see if he's got the same reservedness or a little more kind of like, uh, the, the giddy nine-year-old Guillermo del Toro that comes out. Yes, I kind of, I kind of wish he also had Idris Elba on there. Oh, man. Yes, oh, and he, it. he would have his sweet accent and he he'd would. be like, He'd be like, "See right here, I look like I'm angry. Mm-hmm. I was actually having the best day." Like, <laughs> just Idris Alba. I don't. There's like that man just oozes charisma. Like, I would be very like, if they want, if they're like, "Hey, we're gonna turn Cat America black." I'm like, as long as Idris Alba is, <laughs> is him, I have no problem with it. <clears throat> yes, there's fan posters of him as John Stewart. I am totally down for that. I am super down for him being John Stewart. I'm for Idris Elba being just about anything. If they had, if they had gone 
in the super just off the wall super Japanese direction of this movie where Idris Elba gets you know he he dies instead of a Jaeger but a celestial being comes and forges its life force <laughs> with him and literally Idris Elba like it's Idris Elba inside like a, a rubber costume fighting uh, kaiju I would have told the, the, I guarantee the movie would have made 800 billion dollars worldwide and Idris Elba would have been offered four Oscars by now dude it was so funny like Toward the end, mm-hmm. where my friend, I, later on we came out, mm-hmm. and my friend was like, okay, so toward the end of the movie, when they're going to the actual Pacific Rim, I go right the trench, he goes, mm-hmm. there was a moment where I thought all four people were going to die. I went like, yeah, me too. He goes, but the greatest tragedy is when I realized Idris Elba will not be in Pac Rim 2. Mm-hmm. And that's like, he was like... They you know it's one of the flashbacks, that's the beauty of the way that they did the story, with the... God, there was like, was it a 15 years in between the beginning and the end of the war? So Yeah, it was could, like 12, 15 years, yeah, yeah. so there's a lot of ground that they didn't cover that they can always go back and have more Idris Elba in. That's why I'm so, A, I'm down if they, Legendary would be stupid if they just let this property kind of lapse. If they, if anything, it could be turned into a web series. If they don't, if they don't capitalize on a movie, they could capitalize on a web series. They could capitalize on an anime. They could capitalize on a bunch of different mediums that they could keep this because there is a bazillion stories in it. The way Travis Beachman kind of laid it out. I mean, you just the different runs with the different, you know, the fights between the different uh, kaiju and Jaegers, just all that. I mean, we get a glimpse of Idris Elba's backstory in the in the in the main comic that tells from Year Zero. And there's, like, so much that has not been done yet, so. I know. I, I mean, I don't know if a web series will be beneath Elba, mm-hmm. but it would be awesome to do, like, a pack rim, you know, mm-hmm. mini webisodes or whatever with him in it. Mm-hmm. And I and the fact is, uh, again, not sadly, stereotypically, you know, mm-hmm. racial comment due to his actual ethnicity, not nationality, people, that's mm-hmm. different. Ethnicity, he doesn't age as rapidly as certain people would. It's, it's, so, as we call it in the white community, black don't crack. <laughs> and it doesn't, no. Well, it's like, it, it's, again, it, you want to go on that, it, that, that, that thing, look, uh, the, the Asian population does not age until they stay, they hit, they look about <laughs> 35 to 40 until they're 83, and then whatever magic spells on them wears off, and then they automatically become that age that they actually are. Yes, and then they're like little tiny and all, and then mm-hmm. all the little Asian women have like curly hair, like real short kind of curly mm-hmm. hair with their big glasses. Mm-hmm. But no, I was thinking like even in Mako's flashback, mm-hmm. Idris, when he got out of the Jaeger, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking, okay, how are they going to make him look younger? He basically looked Thanks. exactly the same. Said, Fuck it. <laughs> and then, and then, his, but then his hair mm-hmm. just has a tiny more of a faux hawk going yeah. on. But other than that, he looks exactly, exactly the, the same. same. And he's like in his 40s now, isn't he? He just turned 40. Oh, man. Yeah, he's he's due for an Oscar very soon. He is, and I love his extended scenes in Thor 2. Oh, he was awesome in Thor 2. Oh, I love so, him. Yeah, so he should... Like a badass. He did. Taking he, out a for... ship on his own. Yeah. <laughs> he was just like, oh, mm-hmm. sure, I'd do it. Mm-hmm. But I think had... Thor 2's commentary isn't out yet, but mm-hmm. to follow the don't make the same mistake or choices that Pac Rim do did not do did <laughs> have Idris Elba in commentary. Exactly, just have him. The like it's like yes, I know I was only in about forty minutes, so twenty minutes of this film, but they asked me just to add a little of my sultry voice to it. 
Yes. My horrible Idris Elba impersonation. <laughs> I can't. I can't. It's the British. It's hard to get down. But he Australian, can, I know it's really hard. He, oh, Australians. Australians hard, but it's once you get it. Once you get it down, it's down. But yeah, British, like especially like, because he's very he's very well spoken too, from what I've seen. Like he's he's a guy that's the full package. You don't want to fuck with. Like he's just like if he if I see Idris Elba coming down, it's like he's like a. I would compare it to him, like, if in modern day, like, he was, he would be a modern day black Sherlock Holmes, but he could le- legitimately beat the shit out of me without having to set up any sort of, like, details, like, okay, I'm gonna go for the, you know, he's gonna throw a right, I will block, and hit a left, he's like, no, I'm just gonna grab this fucker and knee him in the face. Kind of like in Luther, yes. actually. Oh, <laughs> I need to sit down and watch that. I've been meaning to. I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna do after this one. Sit down and watch Luther finally. Luther, Luther is good. Uh, Idris Elba is the type of man who walks down the street and you cross the street mm-hmm. to the other side because you don't wanna. You don't wanna. You don't want Elba in your face. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. But no, now I thought about he would have been great for the commentary. He would have. He would add a regalness to it that. Uh, oh, is and Charlie Day. Charlie Day is another, that's another fail that they didn't get him on there. Because he, <laughs> if anything, him and him and Del Toro would have just been, you know, he would be like, oh, well, girl, what's going on here? Oh, you know, uh, this, you know, it, it would have been just, uh, uh, it would have been an oral, O-U-R-A-L, I think that's how it is. Not oral, oral, like, you know, listening. Right. Like, just an oral massage on the ears. Yes, you know what? Actually, in the scene where he, uh, when uh, Newt Charlie ends up coming out of his first drift mm-hmm. with the kaiju, and then Idris Elba comes and you know uh, Stacker Pentecost sits down and mm-hmm. like listening to him talk and turns around and ends up telling Hermes to shut up. Mm-hmm. I was thinking this is really good acting. That's great, mm-hmm. but I wonder if both actors actually get along in real life. Like I was like, hmm. like, like if he almost too much. Like he doesn't, he doesn't take any of uh, Charlie Day's shit. Like he's like, look, we're here doing a job. I don't want any of your 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 goddamn tomfoolery fucking up my work. All right. <laughs> but uh, no, but every acceptance speech or announcement speech that he's given at like the BAFTAs, mm-hmm. you know, like you know the. You, for those who don't know, the UK version of like the Oscars or any like kind of awards, he's a presenter. He's very quirky. He's weird. Idris Elba's really weird, uh, but in the good way, mm-hmm. not in the not in the creepy bad way, but in kind of a weird, quirky, good way. So I thought that was outside of character. But like, no, I wished I wish there was more that they touched upon him a little bit more on the focus points, mm-hmm. which was part of the special features which is the part that i went through and took a bunch of notes as you guys know it's not the commentary part i took the notes in that's where i'm going to hand the baton to you yes i know that you saw the focus points also though Mm -hmm. i did but i did not take as dedicated notes as you because um i'm lazy you know i wouldn't you were calling me hardworking, but i was thinking maybe chris is actually the smart one (laughs) chris is the smart one where he can just remember things and not, you know, kill trees and ink well, again, by the, just taking down the. This is the same thing I have when I yell at people online when they write these articles. It's like, well, five things that sucked about Iron Man 3. I don't get why, you know, the Mandarin was doing this. I don't get his... I'm like, the, you, you have not... You didn't pay attention to the damn movie. That's why you're complaining about these things you don't understand because clearly you looked down at your phone or you just weren't watching what was up on the 60-foot screen in front of you. That's... 
I, I pay attention. That's what I do. So <laughs> that's, you know, and I have a decent memory about certain things. It's just you put me on the spot and then I start blanking. That's my problem. But if you give me, you know, you let, you let, you let everything flow right and it's like, okay, yeah, I know uh, that happened there and this happened there. That's exactly what happened. So that, and, and that again, but that's also part of it is I'm just lazy. I don't want to jot things down. <laughs> it's not too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first focus points was the world of Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. And it just basically kind of goes through, like, how he thinks, his process, kind of, you know, what the world of del Toro is, mm-hmm. which I think is actually pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. So I actually didn't have a lot of notes on that. I guess if you're a fan of his movies or you watch his movies, you will pretty much understand mentally how this man works. Still an enigma mm-hmm. in certain ways. But you kind of understand a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one that they did... Well, oh, I'm on, sorry, on what? That, well, on that note, do you think if we lived in a society like Japan, that by now, much like, you know how you know how Japan puts together, like... Because they, they make huge homages to their, like, to the great, like, manga artists and other creators. Like, Miyazaki's yep. got, like, his own theme park over there. Do you think by now, if we had that kind of, like, thinking here, we would have had a Guillermo del Toro, like, kind of, like, mini theme park by now? It does. I do. I do think so. Actually, um, it was really funny. There's a store here in Burbank called Creature Features, mm-hmm. um, which I was obviously telling Chris earlier, kind of off the books. <laughs> and each display case has like, you know, silent horror or like vampires mm-hmm. or, you know, wacky television, like each dis- a kaiju, Godzilla superheroes. There's a display case that says to the world of Tim Burton. So mm-hmm. it has like all these you know, really wonderful, like, Nightmare Before Christmas, Corpse Bride, all this stuff. And this guy was checking prices because this Saturday was their grand opening, and people were like, oh, how much for this Nightmare Before Christmas? And I was like, you know actually what you guys need? And one of the workers turned around, he's like, yeah. And he's like, I go, you need a display case, which is Del Toro's display case, which is just, like, the world of his stuff. And the guy was like, you know what? I think I need to tell my boss that. That's actually a really good idea. After he got up off the ground, it's like, you just hit me with an idea that I should have thought of on my own. But now I'm ashamed. <laughs> you have shamed me, young woman. <laughs> no, but I was thinking, because they have a Tim Burton section. I mean, I'm sure it's a creature feature, so I don't think Tarantino himself will have, like, an actual display case. I'm thinking, I mean, they had a couple of Neil Gaiman stuff. But Del Toro should be on oh, there definitely. in a creature feature shop. Definitely. Like, you know, he would be, there's the Burton, there's Del Toro, you'd have a hammer section, the Universal Monster section. It'd be like that. Yes, yes, hammer films. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, but to go back, yeah, I mean, I think if America or Mexico mm-hmm. uh, took to Del Toro the way certain countries did, we would have a theme park, with, which... Let's mind you, kids. It would be a terrifying theme park. It would be a del- delightfully terrifying theme park, though. I don't see it being the size of like a Disneyland. I see it being like the size of like a um, like a really awesome like Midwest uh, like super miniature golf course where they have like those giant like uh, go kart tracks and stuff like that. You know, it's on a decent piece of property, and then you have like you know you can go into the. Uh, the the uh, Pan's Labyrinth tunnel and be attacked by a turtle monster and then you walk through the uh, the Pale Mail's uh, diner room where it's actually a uh, a snack bar where you can buy shit from a guy in a Pale Mail outfit who just hates his life because he's in his costume every day selling you food. <laughs> you could go <laughs> I, on the Jaeger <laughs> simulator. Uh... <laughs> that would be awesome. I mean, unfortunately, I think 
a ride would have to look more like an actual Jaeger because we're all different sizes and we can actually fit into a pilot suit. Well, no, what you do, you make it a uh, you make it a simulator, kind of like in um, like kind of like a Transformers ride kind of thing, where you're in like a uh, just a little box. It's like seats like four people. You kind of sit a little bit. And you know they let you move around so much, but you you know pretty much it's it's set kind of like Star Tours. Right, right. Oh no, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. I was thinking how awesome would we be to actually put on the suit and everything, but I was like, nope, there's like 18 different body types. Yeah. So, so that's not that's not gonna work. But no, like we we are building money for Del Toro right yeah, now. Pretty much, it's just like here, just you know when we're done. It's like here. Let's go pitch this to someone. I'm pretty sure you can find somebody somewhere that that'll do this. If anything, a traveling roadshow would be pretty awesome. If they could do it. For, oh yeah. If they yeah. could do it for Batman, which they did when uh, Dark Knight Rises came out last year on DVD, they can do it for Del Toro. Right. No. No. That makes sense. Mm. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. You base it around the the, the convention circuit, like you make it half uh, like the Wizard World tour, and then you go like uh, the other like independent stuff, and then. Accumulate at San Diego and like do like the super big one there. Like you just rent out, um, you know, one of the buildings down the street and you know do it there. Right, right. No, that may, I mean right now they're doing the seventy fifth anniversary of Superman and yeah. they're going around town to town. So maybe in ten years we can have like ten years remembrance of Pac Rim, but then have a bunch of other Pan's Labyrinth stuff mm-hmm. there too. Which is the only two movies people really know this poor bastard from. It's like, he also <laughs> Please, come on. I know, I was mentioning that to people, and, like, no one, they were like, Hellboy. I was like, he did that. They were like, mm, no, I know Ron Perlman was in it. I was like, no. I mean, yes, but <laughs> yeah. no. And then so I was like, he did Blade 2. They go, oh, no, we know Blade. Mm-hmm. He was part of it. I was like, what is wrong? Blade I was like. Blade 2 was better than Blade 1 in many ways. It was, it was the <laughs> superior film in the, in the whole trilogy. So I was like, yes. Yes, I was like, oh, my God. But now they, now, now he's becoming more of a household name, so at least people kind of know they associate him with giant robots and monsters mm. now. All right, so let's get back, let's, let's get back to uh, brass tacks here. Oh, sorry, I was, like, cutting you off. But, no, actually, the next thing they talked about in the focus points was a primer on kaijus and Jaegers, and it was basically a run-through of the kaijus that they had, um, the interesting thing was they actually showed a lot of Jaegers that were not in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like Romeo Blue, uh, you know. Horizon and diff- Brave, uh, and um, like Yukon Brawler and all those guys. Yes, and then they showed a lot of them that were kind of, and if you're not careful, you'll miss it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, lo- you know, learn quickly to pause your screen, people. But, you know, that's what they kind of showed. They kind of touched upon that because in the actual special features DVD, DVD, uh, they go more into detail, which was covered in part one of our podcast. Um, but next, they really did, what I really loved is, the, it was titled The Intricacy of Robot Design. Mm. Actually, what they did was, and I wouldn't have thought of that, they actually built all of their robots inside out. Oh, so, so they, they went th- from like uh, internal working like skeleton all the way out to the armor. Yes, because, you know, like, each part inside kind of fits to the specific pilot or the country that they're from, you know, how it's built, everything. Like, you know, um, I keep wanting to call it Echo Beijing because that was his original name, but, like, Crimson Typhoon, mm-hmm. you know, you need to have room for three people. Yeah. So, you know, they built it inside out. They did all of that, and that's what I actually really liked because, 
most people would think you either build it by parts, appendages, mm -hmm. or you built it outside in. Mm -hmm. But no, they said that. And also they talked about if you looked real closely on their chest, which you know we kind of touched upon briefly in part one of our podcast, was they wanted to simulate a lot of World War II, yeah. which we call it our generation or the world to end all wars or the, big, the greatest war of our generation. Mm -hmm. Because actually, World War One was named the War to End All Wars, and that was ironic. It's less than <laughs> yeah, about thirty years later, we're gonna have another one of these, even bigger. Right, right, and like less than a couple of years later, they had another one. But yeah. a lot of it had nose art. Mm -hmm. So obviously, the Americans have the stereotypical sexy woman with the, with the you know the bomber the, girl, the the the, the, uh, the Betty girl. Page, the pinup girl, if you will, the pin, uh, the Betty Page. Yes, and you know, and for Striker Eureka, it was Sarge, and you know their dog, mm -hmm. the bulldog. Other, other, uh, I would say other countries were a little bit more classy than America's nose art. <laughs> but like, like Japan had like a very Astro Boy looking thing going on there, and of course, like China, some sort of possibly dragon. I'm not so sure. We saw it briefly in the shot of the movie, but and then of course they have the little tally marks mm. for the kaiju that they killed. That they knocked out, but the moment I saw America's, I was like, "Why are we the pervs?" Like, yeah, but that's just how we were. That's that's how we were in World War Two. We were like classy and in your face. That's why the terrorists hate us now. Because <laughs> we allow our women to show some skin. Yeah, exactly. It's like we're not wrapping all that up. It's like we're not into hot elbow action. We want some legs. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then from there, with the robots, the next focus point was the importance of mass and scale, which Del Toro was talking about what was really important is because you're watching a movie on such a grand, beautiful screen mm -hmm. of your IMAX loco theater, mm -hmm. he goes, sometimes he says that he notices the issue with movies is you can't quite tell how big something really is. Mm -hmm. Like, you can kind of tell in certain shots, but then you can't really tell... Because it's either too up close or too far away, and there's some weird inconsistencies. So he was like, no, I want to make it so you knew exactly what size and scale you were working on. Like, you know it's this big and this tall. And what I really liked was uh, two of the things that he did was, for one, the part where uh, they were fighting... And then and it goes through an office building, and yes. you see a little. It's one of my favorite scenes too, when yes. uh, Otachi's shoving, uh, when Otachi's shoving Gypsy through that uh, that uh, office building. Yes, and then and then you see the little like uh, you know balls that do the balance, mm -hmm. uh, the gravitational force, kind of go knock knock. Mm -hmm. um, all of that was a miniature office. Yes, that, yes. that, that, that shocked really the hell funny. out of me too. I'm like, that was awesome. Yes, it's a miniature office, and what I loved was, uh, as you guys know, if not through my voice, I am, I'm a girl. Um, I do, as, as much as I love my kaijus and, you know, everything, robots, Batman, Dark Horse, I still love dollhouses. <laughs> so when I, I have several of them, mm. and so when I saw it, it was like a mini dollhouse, and what was really funny was seeing grown men crawl up inside of this office like putting little staplers and like little stacks of paper and they're putting in like little lights in the office in, like i thought that was so cute and funny it is and in many ways it is leading itself to to uh honoring the many kaiju films that came before it as well because if you are obviously if you're listening to this you know about it but if 
if you uh, have discovered Pacific Rim and are just now getting into the genre, yes, uh, mostly everything was done in miniatures. And what people don't, I mean, a lot of people who poo-poo the old, like, Japanese films, they're like, oh, it's just a guy in a suit and miniatures. It's like, well, A, back then, how the hell do you think they were doing set effects? They didn't have computers then. And B, the craftsmanship that goes into such a thing. I mean, you literally have to build a tiny office, and you have to make it look like when you take a picture... Hey, that looks like a real office. So you have to hand detail the crap out of everything so that it looks perfect so that way you can destroy it an hour later. <laughs> yes, and that's why the thing is, then they showed it, obviously, without the CGI, mm-hmm. um, the office being destroyed. It goes through, the camera goes through and rips back out. They basically only had one take. Yeah. Just go in, you rip it out, it goes forward, the arm and the camera goes forward and then goes back. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, and that was it. And I was like... Man, that's a lot of detail for three seconds. Oh yeah, that's that that's and that's always one of the uh, the big uh, that's always one of the stories. Like when the uh, suit actors talk uh, in like Godzilla films talk about, they're like you. They're very specific. Like certain shots, uh, you have to get it on the first take because if you screw up, I think King Kong vs Godzilla had this problem uh, when they're fighting at the uh, the castle at the end and they're just tearing it apart. I believe uh, Nakajima missed his he missed his mark and he fell into the into the castle, knocking half of it over. So they had to stop for half a day while the model builders rebuilt the whole thing. You know, the, all the damage that they oh, did. My, yeah. And they lost half a day of filming and then they had to go and reshoot that scene and then they had to you know fix the problem where you know Nakajima fell and everything like that. Uh, so that's that that is a huge issue with with these films and you know. Everything has to be laid out just perfectly when you're working with model with miniatures. That's why when CG came around, and it's just like, oh, we could just do this. Yeah, you can. It's easier. You're building it inside of a uh, of a uh, computer, but there's still a realness with the miniatures that you lose uh, uh, that when you just do everything in CG. So right, I, it's, right. I'm hoping that when people see that, they appreciate that kind of that art form a little bit better. Yes, yes, and I thought that was amazing because I never would have thought, mm-hmm. and a lot of my friends would have done. And, and in many ways, people see that claymation, puppetry, all that as a kind of quote unquote dying art form. Yeah, like a dying, you know, because everything can be done in CGI. Um, and so I really almost everything, but you know, I really liked that touch, and I thought it was hilarious. Um, and the next thing is, you were talking about the amazing attention to details, like the mini staplers and papers, mm-hmm. only to be destroyed an hour later, mm-hmm. but the sh- uh, when, you know, when, uh, oh, uh, when Striker, I'm sorry, not Striker Eureka, when uh, Gypsy Danger is picking up the shipping containers and using them as, like, brass knuckles. Yes. They were actually showing, uh, one of the people who worked on the film with him was, like, Del Toro thought about details, mm-hmm. and he also thought about how, you know, these shipping containers are not empty. Yeah, so when stuff. he's fresh, they're full of stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's says, like, wouldn't it be great to, like, have TV sets and, like, couches and sofas and everything just kind of fall out of it? Yeah. <laughs> and then he was like, I decided to fill it up with Ikea furniture. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. So when I went back and I actually had a friend from college visit me recently and haven't seen the movie, and we saw it together and I paid extra detail and I froze it. Later on, my friend was like, oh, I think I have that exact same table <laughs> from Ikea, and it was, it was like a real, like a surreal moment, yeah. because you see actual things fall out. I know, it's, it's, yeah, that, um, I, I, that scene, that, that 
particular stood out to me because it's when you're watching that movie, the the scene goes by so fast that you're not paying attention. You're just seeing like the the debris fall off, and you don't really notice what's coming down because it's like, oh, he just smashed the two shipping containers into the head of a giant monster and it just roars back and they continue on. But when they slowed it down, they're like, yeah, so there's IKEA furniture. I they put in a Vespa at one point. It's falling out. Uh, yeah, it's just it, it it was that attention to detail. There was it, I think it was in that same feature when they talk about the detail in the monsters, too. Like, there were scenes like um, the moment where uh, 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 Leatherback is circling uh, Stryker and uh, the the handsome boys get out and they're about ready to fire the flare guns in, at, uh, at Leatherback and they get that shot of them standing on, on Stryker and you see the back, <laughs> ironically, the back of Leatherback. They, they drew the skin parasites running around on them. Like you can actually oh, see, the, yeah, you can actually see the parasites walking around on top of the uh, the the kaiju's. I'm like, that I I would never. I saw it on IMAX and I didn't even see that. I'm like, that is fucking brilliant because otherwise it's like, what? Why point out these you know these littler things later on? Right, right. I like you call them handsome boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, oh okay, yeah, the Hansons. Oh, the Hansons. Yes. I thought you called them the handsome boys because that I also hurt my speech a bit. Okay. That's what I do. Um, but no, no, it is it is true. And there's so much detail. Like, you know, the flare hits one in the eye, mm-hmm. but... It's got nine you know, eyes, though. Yeah, <laughs> it does. But now that I see it, I was like, oh, you know, Ikea furniture is now known as kaiju furniture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, the next thing they talked about was the Shatter Dome Ranger roll call mm-hmm. was the name of the next focus point. And they kind of talked, they went into some small detail about... You know, Riley and, like, the different, you know, the different things about each ranger. And then there's a scene where Mako's sitting in her room, and I, you know, you freeze it. If you actually look to the right side, I guess because we're used to seeing her with a certain tough exterior, Mm -hmm. we forget that deep down inside, she's a Japanese girl Mm -hmm. living in an awesome time. There's all these cute stuff. (laughs) There's, like, these, like, little, like, chibi dolls and, like, manga and they had like all, I mean to the other side of the wall it's like you know pictures and all this like badass stuff that she deals with and then to the right it's like a little like lucky cat <laughs> like it was so cute and I was like oh and you forget to like the other like the you know to more humanize the mm-hmm. character I guess I would say yes and so I don't know why I mean that shouldn't surprise me but it did and I was like that is such a detail that they were like you know no you can't just put like you know swords and everything and all this stuff and her clothes like you know it's a very military post-apocalyptic pre or post-apocalyptic kind of war zone they're living in i mean it's not a very comfortable looking room but in the background is all this like i guess things that made her think of home Mm -hmm. and so i just thought that was really cute and i was like actually some of the stuff i wanted that were in (laughs) i was like i want that if i ever go to japan but, you know, they put a lot more detail. Because, you know, as you saw in uh, Charlie Hunnam's room, mm-hmm. Riley's room, is pictures of her, him and his brother. Yeah. So, and for her, I guess it's little Hello Kitty kawaii, you know, kawaii cute stuff. Yes. But they did that. And then after that, the next focus point was um, Jaeger's Echo the Human Grace, mm-hmm. which is kind of how the Jaegers move in the way that obviously simulated, but similar to the personality of the pilots. Yeah. So when the Beckett brothers were in it, mm-hmm. you know, it was a lot more, the way it moved was a lot more, I wouldn't say boyish, but, you know, the way they scrap. Yeah. 
But then as soon as Mako comes in, it's a subtle, subtle thing, but they start to move a little bit more gracefully. Like, oh, yeah. Mako is a much more agile and graceful person. Oh, yeah, like the, the stance it takes uh, when, uh, when they drop Gypsy in uh, during the Battle of Hong Kong for the first time. And then that, you know, the, uh, the kickboxer, the, 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 I don't, I don't want to say it's a southpaw stance, but it's uh, just the, uh, the, it's almost like a kickboxing stance without the leg up. Just, you know, with the fist at the ready. Uh, it's it's a lot different than what um, when you see uh, in the beginning there it's the the Beckett boys pretty much are brawlers that's all it's just like straight up boxing and just throwing a punch and throwing maybe an elbow here or there but yeah, right there is a difference right. it's like it's what I, it's also like when I point out people don't realize that the the compod for Gypsy when the Beckett's had it and then the compod for uh, for Gypsy when Riley and Mako uh, take over are two completely different things. Like, you don't even yes. notice, like, the gyros and stuff are gone. They're missing from the background. Uh, there's an actual, uh, I think when the Beckets were running it, there was no front, like, command, uh, like, post right there. There's, they could uh, uh, input, uh, you know, different little things that they could do. Right, right. And then they actually showed a screenshot, which was not in uh, the movie. Mm-hmm. And it was not in the deleted scenes, but it's Idris Elba in his room, uh, Pentecost, and he takes off his shirt. Mm-hmm. And you can see he has um, his scars on him, yeah. but they were in the same pattern like his pilot outfit. So like Riley. Uh, like, like Riley, like yes. On his arm. Which, right. again, so many people don't even didn't even notice that. I'm like, just watch the scene where they're uh, bow staff fighting. You could see like all the indi- like all the burns on his arm. They're like right there. Then the 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 same formation as the uh, as the suit. Yes, yes, and I thought that was so great that their scars are not just like scars, but actual like circuitry that's been burned into them because they are connected to their. Almost even like a tribal tattoo kind of look too. Yes, it's weirdly Tronish, mm-hmm. also. Um, which is another series I love, mm-hmm. but very, yeah, like very Tron. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that is a set that I really loved, part of the focus points was Inside the Drift, mm-hmm. how they made the film sequence of the drift. And what they did was, you know, all the characters wore blue, like their faces were painted like a gray-blue, their hair was a gray-blue, the umbrella was a gray-blue, because when you shoot it and then when it appears on screen, it's a grayish-blue. Yeah. So they were all gray-blue, and it was really cute because they showed young Mako with her parents. Mm -hmm. And then you can see, like, a little Mako, the girl, the little actress that plays her. She's super cute. She's, like, running around, and, you know, she's wearing gray-blue and all that. And uh, I really loved it because Del Toro comes over, and he, like, pats her on the head. (laughs) And she just, like, smiles. And I thought that was super cute. But part of the drift is the older Rinko. Mm -hmm. It shows her building the building the sword that later goes on to uh, a gypsy danger yeah gypsy danger mm-hmm. and it was a really really fast scene and it was part of the thing and i can't imagine the number of hours they spent just to film drift sequences well what astonishes me is the fact that they didn't color time everything like normally like someone uh, any other director would have just been like okay just um put them like in black or something like that and then we'll color you know We'll, we'll time the color later on in post. It's like no, no, no. We're gonna we're gonna do it in film, like in camera. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's really it's really interesting. They did that, and then they also talked about how the camera moves. Mm-hmm. They have one camera that moved 360, while another camera stood still, mm-hmm. or something like that, and we're just on the subject. So that's how you get that kind of interesting cinematography, that swirling effect when you're watching uh, the drift sequence. See my wonderful film terminology? Swirling yeah. sequence. Yes. Um, but I really, really liked that. And then the next focus point after that was goth tech. Mm-hmm. They were showing how as much as the technology is, you know, pretty futuristic, there's a gothic romanticism to it, mm-hmm. which I didn't really associate much with. I, I oddly see it as more more futuristic than I saw as goth tech, yeah, but I, I didn't I, they have that much notes on it. Again, I didn't see that either. I know that Del Toro loves putting all the, the gothy undertones to everything, but yeah, there were, it was more, if anything, it was more cyberpunk than anything else with a lot of the stuff. Yeah, yeah, I thought, I thought that more too, but they were talking about the goth tech of it, and um, the next part I really loved is, it was called, the title was Baby Kaiju Set Visit, mm-hmm. and the baby kaiju that ends up, you know, swallowing you, Hannibal Chow, mm-hmm. uh, they built that baby, like, they built a mini version of the baby, then a big version, like the main version of the baby. Uh, everyone would have thought it was a CGI, mm-hmm. or at least the tongue was. No, the whole thing, little Ot- Otachi baby, <laughs> was actually built. Um, had the scales, had everything. Like, it was so detailed, just for one kaiju, and it shows the process. I mean, obviously they sped it up, mm-hmm. but in the special feature focus points... They showed up how they, they drew it, then they had to redraw it, then they 3D'd it, then they made a small version, then they made a large version. And it was like, I was like, oh my god, like, that must have taken months just to build. And that little kaiju was not even in most of the scenes. Exactly. He was, it, it he, she, it was there for all of, like, what it was the purpose for. Like, it's like four or five scenes. It was mostly there for uh, Charlie Day to stand on and stab in the head with a giant needle. Yes, yes, and then they went in and they showed how they did the mama mm-hmm. when, when you know, Chow's people goes inside and, of course, you know, screaming, screaming, they yeah. end up being taken out by the baby. All of that, it looked really awesome. I kind of wish I was there. What they did was they put all blue foam mm-hmm. and then they put a lot of, it looked like balloons, and then they put, you know, they filled up these glowing balloons then they put a cloth over it, and they lit it from underneath. So these people were basically walking on, like, fluffy marshmallow clouds. That's how, in the movie, it looked like it had buoyancy. I mean, obviously, there was post-effect. Mm-hmm. Or else it just looks like they're walking on water balloons. Yeah. But it was glowing and illuminescent, and I thought that was really cool how they did it. I was like, that is a that is a future birthday party, <laughs> nighttime birthday party event that I'm going to have to think about. Oh yeah, that you know that reminds that it's like the um, there's a, a uh, oh, hold on, I lost my train of thought. Did uh, Chris talking take two? Okay, yeah, there's a, uh, um, a, a business out here in Southern California called Sky High Sports, and it's a giant trampoline world. You go into this warehouse, <laughs> yes, and it's yes. all trampoline. They have the big trampoline room. They have the trampoline foam room. They have the trampoline dodgeball room. And, uh, yes, it, it was akin to that. And if you have not been there, A, um, kind of uh, bone up on, if you will, on your trampoline if you have not been on a trampoline since you were a child, because you will throw your back out the first time you get back on, in there. B, it is a hell of a workout. And C, 
the most hardened, bitter individual will turn into a kid again at these places. Because there's something <laughs> magical just about being able to jump in a giant room from, you know, corner to corner. Yes, actually, they have a lot of exercise classes, and they had testimonials from men and women who've lost weight. Oh, yeah, no. I, uh, doing that, you know? I sweat like Roger Eber coming out of there. Like, it, you know that... <laughs> That the, the uh, I'm just drenched after like an hour of doing that. It, it, it's it's somewhat pathetic, but it's also pretty good because I kind of feel it's like oh good, I actually got some exercise tonight. So, it, but it's uh, it is fun as hell though. I would recommend it for anybody. Yes, and that that and among glowing sticks and my uh, Otachi idea, I'm gonna have to put together for my birthday next year. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh no, that would be fun. But it was really interesting how they did it backstage, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, behind the cameras. Because I just assumed they were walking on green screen again with some weird foamy hill, mm-hmm. but um, they, they really put a lot of work into it. Well, again, it's like, he, it's like Del Toro said. It's like, you know, we could have uh, built the, the con pods, just, you know, had, like, the harnesses and that was it and have them react to it. But it's like, no, you're not getting the performance you want out of the people because if you have them actually in something and you're tossing them around, you get a better performance on them because now they're not putting that much effort into imagining what's there, then they know what's actually there, then they can focus more on the performance. It's the same thing with this. It's like, okay, you're walking on top of a kaiju brain, and you're literally, you know, it's it's literally just all like, you're it's you're walking on nerf pretty much, but it's squishy and it smells. Okay, let's go yes. from there. <laughs> yes, and then so that was the baby kaiju set visit. The other one they went to was a Tokyo Alley set visit, mm-hmm. Which is, you know, the entire scene where little Mako's running down and she's crying. Oh, and, that was awesome. That, that was fantastic. That was really good. Because they rigged the shit out of that set. Like, they, that, they got that fucking great performance out of that little girl. And half it was because they had um, everything that Onibaba, you know, when it, when it uh, throws its claw down and it's trying to get little Mako. And it drags across the, uh, the, the pavement. All the damage it does was uh, practical. It was yes, same thing with the uh, the the uh, the trash cans, the huge dumpsters. The dumpsters that fold in. The uh, yeah. I think the ground, the, the everything was rigged to, to uh, bounce with um, Onibaba's movement. It was a uh, fucking amazing. Yes, it was really good, and I mean that really impressed me. But also, what impressed me is working with child actors. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered what they're like, Mm -hmm. and you got to see the interaction between Del Toro and Little Mako. They had a uh, lady there who was obviously the translator, Mm -hmm. so you always see Del Toro talk to the lady, and then the little girl's like, hmm, like nodding her head, Mm -hmm. and then, uh, you know, she talks to the little girl, and the little girl's like, hmm, yes, and it's weird that she just turns it on, she's crying and screaming, and then she just, like, when the, you know, Mm -hmm. when yells cut, she turns it right off. She's a very, very, like, very, very... I would say intensive. Like mm-hmm. she really listens, and she's like serious, and she's like nodding her head, like mm, yes, I get it. Like she's little, yeah. but she has like the understanding of a thirty-five-year-old <laughs> actress, and she's like yes, yes. And then like you see her like nodding, like she gets it, you know. And then of course, I assume maybe because he has children of his own, but Del Toro gives gives her a little fist, like a little fist bump, mm-hmm. like. He, like, reaches out with her fist, and she just looks at him, and then she, like, gingerly puts out her little fist and gives him a fist bump. (laughs) But it was super cute, but she was, like, yeah, like, for a moment you forget she's a child because she's totally, like, listening to this translator while watching the director. Mm -hmm. And she has a great performance, not only because she's, you know, a a good actress, but 
I think she follows directions really well. And one of the main frustrations of working with children is they're either hyperactive, they're not listening, or they don't want to act. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, I've been crying for 10 minutes. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Then, then you have to, like, kind of gold them with candy. But, like, she really seems like she was into it. She was doing her job. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was super cute. But, yes, of course... You know, my friend makes a comment of like, of course, Asians always work hard. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like they take their stuff seriously. <laughs> but no, she was she was super cute, and I hope she has like a great career ahead of her. If not, I hope she does something that she loves. Um, I would love to see the audition tape process or how they picked her uh, compared that, to that would girls. Be interesting. Yeah, I know. So I always thought that would be great. And one of the last things on the focus points, which I was surprised it was one of the last things. I kind of wish they really went to a deep, really extensive view was, it was called Orchestral Sounds, Mm -hmm. where they talk about the music of Pacific Rim. And um, I'm someone who's very big into soundtracks. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things I did notice about the film was the soundtrack, was the music. Mm -hmm. And uh, the wonderful composer, and I'm sorry I might screw up his name, but I actually kind of looked it up on how to say on IMDb. It kind of gives you a, uh, it gives you like a pronunciation of how to say his name. But it's it's like Ramin Yavadi, mm-hmm. but it's spelled R A M I N, D J A W A D I. He's also the same man who does Game of Thrones and Iron Man three, among anything else that's epic. <laughs> he this man pretty much did it. Yeah. And uh, watching him, you see kind of, he said that Del Toro was very involved. He was not someone that was like, hey, uh, here's an email. I kind of want it to sound like this. Mm -hmm. I'll call you in five days. This dude went to his house, like described to him what he wanted. Like he showed him the monsters. And of course, being a brilliant composer, he goes, you know, I knew exactly what I was going to do. But what you notice in the films, especially with the kaiju, is that it's very brass heavy. Yo. Brass instruments yeah. are are very heavy, and uh, he did different themes for different categories. Like Mako's theme was very soft. Mm-hmm. He kind of said originally Riley's theme was just going to be his, but it kind of turned into Gypsy's also theme. yeah Gypsy's theme yeah. that kind of turned into a fight theme. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was really good. But yeah, it was very brass heavy. I don't know if that's something that you noticed. Oh also. no, that's. It. If I picked it up the second um, uh, the the movie started with the um, when uh, after they get to past the guitar riff to the dun, 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 that when they got into the the like the the hero theme if you will when they get to that that just it's like okay that is the perfect tone for what these movies are because if you listen to um, uh, like old uh, um, uh, Akira uh, Ikafube themes. He was super heavy into brass. Like, brass, uh, I think he, and I might be misquoting something I read a long time ago, but I think he always says, like, these are big, lumbering monsters. You want to give them some weight. And brass, you know, the brass instruments, like, you know, the the horns and stuff, give them that weight when they're, you know, they're marching on. So that is, that that, that goes hand in hand with, you know, giant monster movies. So, I mean, you could have easily added just a full, like, rock score to it. And it would have, it would have kind of worked for it, you know. But the balance... Of the the of the brass and and the rock music worked perfectly for it because not only did the the rock kind of work for the the Jaegers, the brass gave you the sound for the uh, for the kaiju. Yes, and and for those who are less music savvy, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, brass is basically 
trumpets, trombone, French horn, tuba, you know, things that look like that. Then woodwinds are like flutes and clarinets because, mm. you know, those. So, but what he meant was brass was those type of instruments. And what was interesting, he actually said that he recorded all the brass mm. um, strings like violins, cellos, mm-hmm. you know, violas, and percussion first. Percussions, you know, drums, everything that, you know, yeah, the, the, the poor people that... Yes, the poor people that sit in the back of a band. Yeah. <laughs> um, so those people, he recorded the percussion strings and bass, uh, brass first. Then he says last. Then he added everything else, including the solo, then the choir, which I thought I really liked. Because some people, much like Fama the Opera mm-hmm. or certain other musics, usually the whole orchestra records together at once. Mm-hmm. Or they would do a majority at once, then they would do you know the guitar solo or the piano solo. But he did pretty much almost everything separately and then combined it together because I guess, you know, different themes, different categories, it's not, it can't all be done at once with one orchestra. No. So I thought that was really interesting, like a little tidbit and a fact. Mm-hmm. But basically, the, and then that was it. They didn't really go, I kind of wish they went more into detail with the soundtrack and especially with the composer's history because he... Everyone, the iconic music is like everyone knows the Game of Thrones theme now. Oh, yeah. You, you hear it, you want to scream that winter is coming. <laughs> uh, you listen to Iron Man, yeah. you know that Tony will be coming. Mm-hmm. So he's a, and I think he's a great, if not already, up and coming composer. He could be the next, uh, he could be the guy in like 10 years that has replaced uh, Hans Zimmer and, uh, and, uh, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman, you know, when these guys are on their way out, and, you know, him and Michael Giacchino are kind of, like, ruling with an iron fist. I know. He's like, John Williams, mm. you're about to go in 20 years. Yeah. So, 20 years? You know, I'm, God, I'll be, I'll be surprised John Williams makes it past the next five. Oh, my goodness. Look, I, and nothing against <laughs> poor John Williams. Look, I love John Williams, but the man's getting up there in age. And yes. Like, he, he's yeah. going to be one of those guys that works till the day he dies, but... Let's be honest, he's getting up there, he's getting a little old, so. (laughs) Yeah, but no, this guy's great, he's 39, Mm -hmm. does not, if you look at the um, focus point, does not look 39, looks like, he looks like he's 28 or 29, Mm -hmm. but um, he is going to be young forever, Yes. (laughs) but he's a great composer, and one of the things I do actually really like is the Pacific Rim soundtrack, and now because of the economy or whatnot, people are less inclined to buy certain things. But I did have friends who were just like, you know what? I think I will actually buy or get the Pacific Rim it's soundtrack. It's an awesome soundtrack. Because it's actually that good. Yes. The last you soundtrack know? I actually bought uh, of any value like that was the uh, Tron Legacy soundtrack. Mm, right. I, I right. did get the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack, but that wasn't like the score. Well, that, was, that was just yeah. like the nice, com- it was a nice compilation CD of anything. Yes. Yeah, so I was like... Oh, on a side note, John Williams is 81 years old. I was going to say, how old is he? He was born February 8th of 1932. So, yes, he's getting up there with age. It will be a sad day when he eventually passes. Hopefully it is still many years off, but let's uh, let's be a little realistic. He, uh, he He might not be doing what he's doing for much longer. Yes, so, uh, you know, I, I hope he's around mm. to get to witness all the Star Wars things that he can witness, regardless of, you know, his involvement. Would be something just like, oh, goddamn Star Wars. Everyone talks about that. It's goddamn Star Wars. 
She's like, look. He's like, well, what what did you feel your your greatest uh, your greatest achievement, you know, in uh, scoring was? He's like, hook. That was <laughs> that is where I achieved greatness. It was hook, okay. And everybody overlooks hook because they're all oh E. T. or or Jurassic Park or or even Superman. It's like fuck Superman. It's all about hook. God damn it. That is where I created art, and nobody gave it gave gave a, a freaking two winks at it. Yeah, yeah, that would probably be an answer to one of the questions that I actually, whenever I do interviews, I love to ask is like, what do you think your greatest underrated Mm -hmm. thing that you did performance, story, comic, you know, whatever that you wish people knew more about? And I bet he would be like, hook. (laughs) It's like, hook, man, it's just something about that movie. You know, yeah. it's like it's like Robin Williams took me aside when they say, look, I uh, put myself out there on this. I really think I, I got an Oscar out of this film, but I really need you to, to step up your game to make this make this movie great. And mind you, <laughs> I love Hook. Hook was like the Peter Pan movie for me growing up, so I vehemently defend Hook to, against anybody that hates it. But yeah, <laughs> that's that's uh, I, I would assume it's like he's just like just clutching like a glass of wine, just like. Fucking Star Wars, man. That's what I've always been known for, Star Wars. Everybody, else. I've done so many other great things, but no, Star... Like, he's mumbling to himself. Like, he's just like, like, hey, John, Disney's going to offer you, like, you know, a small island out in the Virgin Islands, and not one of the bad ones, one of the good ones, if you come back and score Star Wars again. And he's just looking, it's like... Just like, it's like, I'm selling out once again. But yes, let's do it. <laughs> right. But I was like, oh, my goodness. No, I mean, to go back, I kind of wish they had more on the music. Or, like, I'm not talking, like, ten-minute featurette. Hmm. But at least, you know, a couple minutes. Yeah, they do. They do kind of get the soundtrack, like, the like like a quick brushing over. It's just like, yeah, here, we, uh, we did this. Okay, let's move on. Yeah. Yeah, so. But, you know, that was it for all the focus points. We actually, you know, we covered everything. I didn't find any Easter eggs whatsoever. Uh, there might be some out there, God only knows, but uh, as far as I can tell, nothing. Nothing, no Easter eggs? No, I didn't see any Easter eggs whatsoever. But then again, it's 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 a weird world we live in now with, uh, with DVDs, because back in the early 2000s when DVDs started coming out and Special editions were like a real big thing. Like every, like most DVDs that came out were like loaded with extras, and then they slowly start getting lazier and lazier. And like you, you know, bare bones became like the, the normal thing. Like Easter eggs back in those days were like huge. Like you, you scroll around on the uh, the menu looking for like hidden objects and stuff like that. Or it's like it's like trying to figure out like a video game, like putting in the cheat code, like up, up, down, left, right, left, right, kind of thing. Uh huh. I for life me, I've not seen anything like that in like a good like three or four years so right right so anyone out there commenting and listening if you if you did find easter eggs or you think you have a conspiracy theory of the easter eggs mm. like there's some guy back definitely there's some guy listening know, right now in his car he's like god damn it there is one you didn't you didn't you didn't look hard enough yes you know they're like there was a spike of upside a triangle we know it's godzilla yeah. it's there no and then uh comment below or like mm. you know, message us and we will we will respond we will res- with it. We will respond with uh, with great enthusiasm. Yes, yes, we will. But pretty much that's all my wonderful pages of notes for Pac Rim. You have you have exhausted everything that you've written down now. Yes, I, I was actually checking off mm-hmm. all the little things I was talking about. All right, so uh, overall, a, actually a very good DVD. Um, 
you know, especially what I was talking about in a day and age where DVDs are being kind of pushed to the side for digital downloads, you still can't get all those wonderful special features that, um, that you know, if you bought it off iTunes and it's just sitting on your hard drive, it's, it's still not the same. I love owning DVDs, Blu-rays, DVDs, either one. I like having the movie. And I like the fact that, you know, it doesn't matter. There's always going to be those extra special features there. Like, ten years from now, I could pop this thing in, and it's just like, oh, yeah, so that's how they did it. You know, I'm pretty sure it'll be readily available on the Internet, but, you know, how much can you really trust the Internet? It does lie to you sometimes. It does. Mm -hmm. It does lie to you, as it did for the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. (laughs) But, you know, I was like, oh, okay. But, no, I look forward to anything pack room related and also the dvd i mean if we if we have to score it it's a s- out of 10 out of 10 kaijus it's a solid it's a solid eight and a half nine the transfer is beautiful it's, it's it's a lot of love went into it it's just it um it felt like they double dipped on a couple of things though if if you get my drift i yes. not not in that sense <laughs> but um no i kind of i would give it a nine mm-hmm. nine point five uh, where you where they killed a kaiju, but they didn't know that it survived. Yes. Like, they thought they killed it, mm-hmm. so that's where the point five. Because I think there's a sore lacking of Travis Beecham. There is a definite uh, lacking of him. Uh, Charlie Day, uh-huh. Idris Elba, and, uh, you know, I mean, they have enough Del Toro. But also, I think it would be nice to have heard what uh, Hermes had to say, mm-hmm. the actor that played him, even the guy who operates the uh, all the other side characters, like from Hercules to the guy with the bow tie, I forget his name, but, you know, he does all the operations. Mm-hmm. And it would have been really interesting to hear what Rinko had to say, because she is pretty much the only female, yeah. other than the Russian wife sister, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was in the film. I like that wife sister. So, uh, you know, it was it's ambiguous. You don't mm-hmm. you don't really know what's happening. But you you know, it was they could have at least put a little bit more in. Yeah. But yeah, I would say nine, nine point five. Definitely. Well, I'm just hoping that this time next year when we're sitting down around this time reviewing the Godzilla Blu ray that, you know they they put in uh, they pack it even even more condensed. Right, right. I hope there's a lot more things. They would, we would love to see more Brian Cranston. Everyone what, loves Brian Cranston. You cannot hate that man. Yes. A lot of people don't know. He did a couple of voices on Power Rangers, too. Like that, like when uh, Breaking Bad was ending a couple of weeks ago, and they're like, hey, th- ten things you didn't know about Brian Cranston. It's like he was a voiceover artist, and he worked on Power Rangers. I remember that kind of coming out, and people were like, are you fucking kidding me? He was on Power Rangers? I'm like, that's like one of like the worst kept secrets in the world. Like, he's... Like, he put that, like, he talked about that before he even did Malcolm in the Middle, so. <laughs> he was a voice on uh, Technoman, too. If anybody if anybody my age remembers Technoman, it was the American dub of Techoman Blade. He was he was on, like, three episodes of that. And I went, I popped up my DVD, I'm like, I gotta find this. And yes, there, there in lies Brian Cranston. Oh, my, Brian Cranston is hiddenly everywhere. He's our, he's our favorite Easter egg. Who's just kind of he just around? Shows up. He just walks and says, "Oh, hey, what's going on?" And just walks away. It's like you just need to put a little Brian Cranston in everything. Sprinkle him. I on. love the fact that the dad from Malcolm in the Middle is now like one of the most like sought after and renowned actors out there in the world. And scariest mofo. It is ever. And he's like the nicest guy in the world too. Yeah, yeah, he's very <laughs> nice. But um, no, that's it. As I said for the notes, unless you have anything that you want to add for our lovely part two of our podcast no, for Pacific, that's, that's about it. It's, it's a it's a 
it's a solid DVD. I've watched it several times now. I've fallen asleep to it. I've hugged it. I don't own the uh, the deluxe box version, mostly because I don't buy those because they're just too damn awkward to display. I you know my shelf space is limited, so I got you know everything has to slide in. I I kind of like the uniformity of DVDs like that too, where it's I'm I'm looking through like a fine library of books, but instead it's just like okay, here's the quest next to Saving Private Ryan next to uh, my copy of Airplane, and then, oh, hey, look, it's the director's cut of Payback. You know, people look at my, the, the fine taste in film that I have. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, because you were talking about limited shelf space, mm-hmm. you know, now one of the many reasons why digital comic download is so big, because you only have so much room to put your comics. If I could have any one thing from Pacific Rim that does not exist yet, mm-hmm. I would want a plush Onibaba. And I would sleep with that dude every night. Because he, a plush one would look so happy too. You just know that's he's gonna have like the the squinty like little uh, chibi eyes, and his claws gonna be up real happy like. Oh, so you're making it more Japanese version? I was just gonna make it like a little scary, like like a plush Godzilla. No, no, like. You're gonna go plush. You have to add like the 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 super deformed chibi look to it. So. <laughs> I, w- I would like one to s- not to scale, but to like like a like a little version, complete with the scariness and the little mouth that opens, <laughs> just, but vel- Velcro style, yeah. so I can just like can open, open its it. mouth. Yes, and it, and for some, you know, sad violent reason, in his left claw will be a little mako <laughs> with a little shoe, and I would just sleep with it every night. But um, if you could have anything that was not made from the movie on your limited shelf space, what would it be? Oh, God, I'm trying to think right off the bat. The one thing I do want, I want a Gypsy Danger bomber jacket. Yeah, <gasps> yeah the the, uh, the brothers, yes. the Beckett brothers. I want, the, I want that. Uh, I do want, I would love a, um, I'm trying to think. Like, if anything that's not, like, made yet, I mean, jeez. Uh... You know, like, a, a stacker Pentecost doll from, like, Tonner. Uh, and then, like, pull a little string, it's and he's like, like, cancel the apocalypse. He says, cancel the apocalypse. <laughs> it's, like, it's like specific room action figures. They really work. It's like you get the human lines. It's like, it's Raleigh and, and Stacker Pentecost, and you pull a string in the back. It's like, I am a fixed point in this place. It's just, <laughs> and you pull, like, the Raleigh, and he's just like, I miss my brother a lot, dude. <laughs> Yeah, and then, like, you know, you pull on Pentecost, mm-hmm. and, of course, he makes the apocalypse sound. <laughs> yeah, he comes with, like, he, he has a button on the back with, like, uh, karate chop action. Like, the hand <laughs> just comes down and starts smacking the shit out of everything. Yes, I thought that would be really awesome. And there's kind of a trigger point. Mm-hmm. So if you put the Riley doll's hand <laughs> to his arm, yeah. it's like, do not touch me. <laughs> it actually comes, if the left arm has, like, eye-punching action, just piece the crap out of him. <laughs> Oh my goodness! But yeah, that, no, the bomber jacket would have been a good I one. Would I've actually, searched online for I it. wouldn't doubt that you could make like a whole line based out of like the the pilots' like look. Like you could do the gypsy danger bomber jackets. You can create like coats, like big Russian coats for uh, uh, Cherno Alpha, and you can make them kind of like in the color scheme of the of the uh, of the Jaeger with like certain like elements to them, but also incorporate the the pilot elements as well. I, and I do mm-hmm. think that people would eat that shit up with a huge spoon. It'd be just like pure sugar on top of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. It'd just be like, yes, more. Yes. Yes, and it would be awesome if you can put in like a DVD of your happy memories, mm-hmm. but puts it into like a VR-type yeah. helmet, <laughs> it comes, and, it automatically, and it automatically simulates mm-hmm. into a drift. Or like, like Google Glasses. 
Yes, and then you can get a drift sequence out of your God, own memory. That'd be awesome. Now, I, you know what? I would love. I would love if. Um, and look, I love Nika's figures. I've bought a lot of them. I like. I almost have the whole line right now. I'm just. I need. Uh, I need a leatherback, and then I'm working on getting the giant, massive scale gypsy one right now. It's just expensive. So, but uh, I would love if. If like someone else, like if Nika had made like a more durable line, because Nika's figures are much like their other figures, they're great, they're poseable, they can, they're, they're like heavy vinyl, and like you kind of feel like if you really kind of got you know down and dirty with them, you would break them real easy. I would love like right. I would love like if like someone had like like Toy Biz had made like a Pacific Rim action figure line, where like the they would have like you know chest firing action where where Striker's chest would open up and it just missiles would shoot. Like those are the commercials. <laughs> that, that's where I think they dropped the ball. It's like really marketing the crap out of this movie to kids, where you know everyone's oh it's a Guillermo del Toro movie. Older people, are, I'm like no, the whole idea was to. It, ironically, it is kind of a family film if you think about it. It's a big blockbustery film. And missing that 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 mark of not like having like uh, like just cross the board like uh, action figures made out of it like um, just a whole line of kaiju's that you know uh, maybe they're li- little limited posability but they got the look and they had like light up sounds and like firing action like you could get like a leatherback you press the back and his back lights up like a it's a um, and it makes a sound like the EMP pulse. And Gypsy has retractable blades that come in and out, and you can like fire them and stuff like that. That is, I think, I think is what um, what we're really missing. I would love more than anything else. Yes, yes, and you can obviously have the uh, the, the you know Mako doll where you press her and she says, "For my family." Exactly. Like you have like <laughs> the line of the figures. Like you can uh, you can create like um, like you you can make them to scale. Like you can make like big Jaegers and big Kaiju that you could put like. Like a four and a half inch, like here, I'm getting real detailed with, or three and a half inch, I'm getting super detailed with my toys here. Like the G.I. Joe size, like figures, you could put them inside of the, uh, of the Jaegers, like they got a slot where they could put into, you could fight them and shit like that. Uh, yeah. Now Look I'm at you, you're making my, like, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> like, ah, oh, that'd be great. But sadly, we don't live in that world, so. Yeah, I, I know, blame, right? I blame Legendary on that fully. Oh, you do? Yes. Okay. It's like, yeah, look, I, I appreciate, like, you could have given, because if you look at um, the news, because uh, the um, Legendary put out a press release about a month and a half ago about what they're doing with the Godzilla license, and they're going full bore. They are, they, well, come May, or actually April, when these figures start hitting, my wallet is going to be very, very empty, because much like when I was a young boy... Uh, 14 when the American Godzilla movie came out. It, not necessarily buying up all the American Godzilla stuff, but the tie-in stuff. Like, like a bunch of other companies have, have purchased like the Godzilla license to make books and stuff like that. I bought all that shit, and I have stacks of it still sitting here. And I was like, from uh, April of like 98 to Christmas of like 2000, there was just Godzilla shit left and right. That was just picking up, because even after the initial movie, when the American movie came out, and that stuff sat on shelf for months, and then they would start clearancing it out, and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to take this and this, and yeah, I got it all. <clears throat> that is what Legendary's doing with Godzilla. So obviously they're like, okay, we, we feel like we have something more here with Godzilla. Uh, not only is Nika making like high-detailed figures, like like, right. like they're like they've done with Pacific Rim, Bandai's making more, um, uh, what is it, uh, 
uh, generalized figures because Bandai does hold the uh, the license, but it's their creation line, so it's more specialty. Like Toys R Us and like comic stores, are the only ones that really carry them. But they're gonna have like a massive um, like movie line of uh, like uh, of um, general figures that you can buy like on store shelves, like in Target and stuff when it comes out. And they have licensed the crap out of Godzilla to <coughs> a dozen companies. And they didn't do any of that with uh, Pacific Rim. Yeah, I think it's all about taking risks and everything yeah. for them, you know. Like, so. I, I understand that, and I understand that, it's like, hey, it's Godzilla, everyone knows Godzilla. But, you know, you've, they, they really could have done, you know, it, 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 it's a it's another reason why certain cartoons don't stay on uh, on, on the air, because... It was uh I, I was I was reading an interview um, about why Titan um, I'm sorry uh, Symbionic Titan, the G- uh, Gendy Tartatoski show, uh, it lasted one season. It was brilliant, like it was amazingly brilliant, and it falls into this genre too. It was um, mech fighting monsters. It was it had like tones of Voltron meets uh um uh, uh what is it John Hughes movies ironically. <clears throat> but the reason why the show didn't last was because no no one had um, optioned the rights for toys. There was no toys to support the show. Right. So it kind of fell into into the wayside and got canceled. And now it sadly just reran the same twenty episodes of rerun on on Toonami every Saturday, and just depresses me even more. But if you have something out there and you kind of throw it out there, like preemptively, okay, the sales might not be strong at first, but when the movie comes out and kids have something they can go and play with, it's going to it's going to drive sales even more, and it's going to drive people to come back to the movie. Drive you know people like the idea was it, again the idea is to market to kids and then you market to adults, and if you do that, you have you have a better chance of getting a a sequel, getting more stuff off the ground. There was there was I mean if you didn't go through like a collector store or order online. It's nearly impossible to find these Pacific Rim figures. I'm just lucky that I live in Southern California. And I'm near enough, like, you know, uh, you know, secondary collector markets that I was able to get these things. Because right. I never saw one in Toys R Us. I lived near, like, eight Toys R Uses. None of them had them. Right. No, I know what you mean. And that's another reason, you know, three of the things, three <laughs> points I want. Like, that's exactly why Young Justice mm-hmm. and Batman Beyond kind of went off air. Because, you know... Their stories are great. Everything is driving for, mm-hmm. you know, moments where it's a little too dark for kids. Yeah. But their toys were not selling as well. No. It's all about marketing. And also you market to children mm-hmm. because if you market to adults, we're not really going to buy things for ourselves either because of the economy or we want to pay a bill. Mm-hmm. But if you market to children, they will bug their parents who will have to buy it for them so they will be happy and quiet or whatever. And, uh, so you want to market to children exactly. also. Well, George, uh, George and I, the... Um we run the uh, the Realmcast. Uh, we did a uh, an episode where we're talking about this because um, uh, Greg Wiseman, who ran Young Justice, uh, talked about why the show didn't make it. And it's like hey, nobody bought the merchandise, and George and I kind of dissected that. And you know, we're big, we're huge toy guys. We love that's part of the reason our friendship bonded was over toys. Like we have everything from like you know old school Transformers to like high end Japanese stuff, like and everything in the middle. But we're talking about that and. His kids were into into Young Justice, and you know uh, his youngest not so much because he was only he's only four and it was a little over his head, but his oldest was like super into it. And as he he pointed out the problem, and this was the same problem that the Avengers toy line had when the Avengers came out, uh, a lack of bad guys. 
He's like, you have all the hero figures. You have a Robin, you have uh, Aqualad, you had all those guys. Who the hell were they going to fight? You had, I think they had a, a Cheshire and a Rachel Ghoul figure, and that was it. It's like, there was like, there was no no one for them to fight. It's like, what are they going to fight each other? It's like, it's 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 like the sim- simplest thing in that people who are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to market this stuff completely overlooked it. For the fact of like, right. let's get the popular ones out and those will sell. It's like, well, no, you got to think, you have to kind of think like a kid. It's like, they're going to be playing with these things. You got to give, you have to, you have to create conflict and you have to give them something to fight back. So even if it's just like creating, you know, the, the, the Justice League uh, Unlimited line, you know, they have packs you could just buy parademons for, you can create like a, a Thanos, or I'm not sorry, a Darkseid army. So you can get Darkseid and Calabac and then like a bunch of parademons and you can have the whole Justice League beat the crap out of them. It's like, that's, what they did with that line, that's what they did not do with the Young Justice line. And uh, sadly, it cost us a brilliant show. Yes, and that's very true. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, when it came to toys and everything, I hope that Pacific Rim can put out a little <laughs> bit more. But it might be slightly late now since well, no, the movie's out, the DVD's out, and everything. I do know that Nika has announced that they're putting out a... Uh... Right, but... It's like series of them. Oh yeah, no, no, no. There, there's, there's enough. We're not going to see the 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 mass produced lines in the stores ever. That's that's that that dream's gone. But yeah. I, yes. Nika still. I think the toys sell very well for Nika. Uh, on the secondary market, I know that the first wave, like Gypsy, the regular Gypsy's going already for like sixty bucks online, like on eBay. Right. Um, and the second series is already starting to get up there. Um, I do know that they announced that. Um, to go along with the 18-inch Gypsy, they're creating an 18-inch knife head, which they had the prototype at Comic-Con at their booth, and it's a huge, just solid piece of, like, sculpture, pretty much, that ironically has far more movement than the uh, knife head figure that they released uh, has. Like, the little arms can actually move. Uh, but it's going to cost, like, 200 bucks though. And they have a Wave 3 coming out, which they're kind of... Making it for the mistake that they made with Wave 2, I think, where they put out another Gypsy figure. Uh, it was battle-damaged Gypsy, but this one had the, the swords that you could attach to the arms. Right, Which is like, right. well, you have a million other Jaegers and, and Kaiju you could put out. Why would you release another Gypsy? So I think they listened to that, and we're getting a, um, a Trespasser, the, the first Kaiju. In the movie, right. we're getting that figure. Uh, and then there's going to be a Cherno figure, and the one I'm waiting for, and I can't wait to get this in my hands, is the uh, Coyote Tango figure. That would be awesome, yep. So, and that's Chris talking about toys. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I love it. When you were like, you know, George and I bonded over toys, I want to say, who doesn't? Exactly. Because I've bonded over some of my friends over my Many toys. Many friendships were forged and destroyed over toys. <laughs> destroyed. Yes. I stopped hanging out with a buddy in in uh, elementary school because he lost the head to my Shogun Megazord. Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh no! Yeah, I'm just like now I have a Shogun Megazord, no head. So what am I gonna do with it? It's just sitting there, just staring at me. And I, I I stopped talking to him. I was I was upset. Oh no! Yeah, I do not have said Megazord anymore. I still have my pride and joy on my my Ninja Megazord though. I'm very happy with that. That's good. It's on my wall of robots right now. Yes, mm. there's many toys I've never thrown away, and I'm glad I didn't because I still have them in my collection now. Mm. So that and Pez containers, they are they are worth something. Oh, yes. we, and believe me, when we do whole episodes sitting around looking talking about figures, uh, you're you're going to hear me just 
just wax poetic about all this shit. So just stay tuned. Hold on, if you will, because it's going to get interesting. Yes. That's me hyping. <laughs> and so I guess we're coming down, winding down to a sad close that for this episode. So I think I've, you know, for I, I think we got the Pacific Rim out of our system for right now. Yeah. You know, yes. Based on you know yep. any any information that comes out or anything new or, you know, we managed to get to talk to anybody you know concerning anything about Pacific. We'll obviously come back and revisit it. But uh, uh, sallying forth, we're, we're going to start focusing a little more on the Japanese side of uh, of things and start getting to the nitty gritty of Godzilla and uh, and his fellow kin. So yes. So stick around for that, uh, Jessica. Where can people find more of your delightful work? Yes. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's just Jessica, the comic book girl. Mm-hmm. But also, thecombookgirl.com and girlongeek.com mm-hmm. are good places to find me. And then from there, you'll find me through our Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, you know, everything that where I am at, mm-hmm. specifically. So where can we find you? Uh, I uh, run a site called therealmcast.com. You can find me there. I run two podcasts on that. Uh, Take Two, which is a news, uh, kind of like a weekly news recap. And uh, the re- the actual, the Realmcast, the main shows we call it, where uh, we wax poetic about uh, things we love. Um, and you can find uh, more of uh, my oddball writing stuff on Panzer Crush, which... Uh, uh, Host the Kaiju Kingdom podcast along with our other sites, Jessica. Yes, so we are actually on Tumblr, mm-hmm. the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. We are on Twitter under uh, the Kaiju Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And also, you can, we're also on Facebook, the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast. And you can find us and like us and be our friends, and we will we will stalk you as you stalk us back. Exactly. And also, if you want to directly email us, we are the Kaiju Kingdom Podcast at gmail.com. And you can ask us, tell us, complain, suggest certain things. I don't know. Whatever you want, let us know. Mm-hmm. Please don't spam us. <laughs> yeah, well, or we will spam you right exactly. back. Exactly. I have links to things you don't even want. Yes. I will put you on um, so many mailing lists, you'll never get out of it. We will just send you pictures and clips of Godzilla mm-hmm. with Matthew Broderick, mm-hmm. is what we will do. <clears throat> and uh, basically, that's it on where to find us. Exactly. Um, uh, by this episode, we should be on, um, or hopefully we will be on iTunes. We will be on iTunes very soon. I have had actually some people ask about that. So I'm kind of working on that. iTunes is a bit of a hassle, and I, I'm not an iTunes user, so I'm kind of navigating uh, waters I'm not familiar with. So uh, we will be up fairly soon, though. When we do, I will post it on the um, on the Tumblr and on the Facebook as well. Yay! So that will do it for Kai- the Kaiju Kingdom podcast this week. Join us again when uh, we talk more about giant monsters. So for myself and... Hi, Jessica again. Hello. We will see you next time.